podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. The Reds rediscovered their identity and collective ethos yesterday as they defeated Pep Guardiola's Manchester City side at Anfield in front of a raucous crowd. Once again, Mo Salah would have the final word. But with the games coming thick and fast at present, our attention now turns to the midweek game as West Ham arrive at Anfield looking to halt Liverpool's progress. All eyes will be on the Reds and whether they can capitalise on the win against the champions and finally build some momentum this season. Joining me on the pod to share his perspective on West Ham's evolution under David Moyes and the heap of exciting new signings made this summer by the Hammers, I'm delighted to welcome on West Ham writer for Football London, John T. Coleman. Welcome on, John T. Thank you very much for having me on, Harry. No, good to speak with you. I mean, the, yeah, the, the games are coming thick and fast. This one nearly caught me out, nearly, uh, with the <laughs> with the quick turnaround. I've said that a few times this season already, um, as we sort of um, barrel closer to um, this uh, this oddly, or uh, well, odd in many ways, World Cup that we're about to sort of go through, I guess. But um, what I wanted to talk to you about today is obviously West Ham. Uh, and last season, whenever I got the guests on to talk about the Hammers, it was a pretty interesting discussion, really. almost in some some episodes it felt like quite unprecedented in terms of sort of the work that David Moyes had put, had been putting in there. Um, obviously a seventh place finish in the Premier League, uh, semi-finals of the Europa League, quarterfinals of the EFL Cup. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a successful campaign. And you've got, uh, you know, Jared Bowen scoring 18 in all competitions. Uh, a team really seemed to be evolving under David Moyes as well. Just wanted to ask you, I mean, in your opinion, sort of covering the club, uh, what were your overarching thoughts on sort of where they were come the end of the season? Because I was looking at the fixtures and just looking at the results, and I'd sort of like it's it's it sort of gone past me a little bit that actually the end of the season perhaps wasn't as great in the league because of sort of maybe the, the European pursuits. Yeah, no, obviously um, it was from the outside looking in, it was it was a fantastic achievement. I mean, David Boyce took charge for the second time at West Ham about three, just shy of three years ago now. And when he inherited that team, they were fourth bottom in the Premier League and, you know, they're fighting to stay in the division. Um, fast forward it to now and it's been a sixth and a seventh place finish in the last two seasons, two, two brilliant campaigns. Uh, last season, as you, as you mentioned, their Europa League semi-finals as well. And, you know, they were very close to, to being in the final, had a brilliant run, knocked out some big teams in the likes of uh, Leon and Sevilla um, in Europe. And yeah, had a brilliant campaign, but really fighting not just for top six, but top four as well. And as you mentioned there, their form sort of dropped off towards January, February. But yeah, it was a, for them, it was a case of sort of uh, one or two interest key players and not having quite the depth that perhaps the bigger clubs are, are used to um, with playing in European competitions, all these matches and that kind of thing where they've got sort of two sets of 11 and plenty of squad players and they can rotate it and, and then prepare for these injuries. And whereas West Ham, you know, it was, it was largely unchanged. There you know, weren't too many changes for these games. And, 
you know, that's something that they've looked at this summer. Um, but yeah, it's obviously a fantastic achievement. And the message from the club's been, we don't want this to just been a, you know, two good seasons. We want this to be long-term, sustained success. We're in a massive stadium. They're in a, they're in London, you know, one of the biggest, the biggest city in the country. And, you know, and the, the big clubs are all coming out of these massive cities. And while Arsenal, Tottenham and Chelsea, you know, are three massive clubs already in London, West Ham want to be on par with them. So, They've, they've, made, they've tried to make strides towards that this summer with, with the money they've spent and a lot of money as well. But if you look at the quality of players signed, you know, you can't really say they've, they've kind of been ripped off really. You know, last two seasons have been brilliant achievements, but in the, for, for the message from the club and what they're aiming towards is they don't just want that to be sort of a, a fluke or, a, or mm. one or two good seasons. They want this to be a long-term sustained success and they want to build and, and build and just keep growing as a club. Yeah, I, I, Obviously, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to talk about sort of the players that have come through the door and the quality of those players as well. One point I did want to sort of ask you, though, was come the end of last season, uh, who were those key players that you thought sort of really inspired the run that the, the club had in the league and also in the Europa League? Obviously, I mentioned one there in terms of sort of Jared Bowen and his goals. Um, Mikel Antonio will be one that sort of comes to mind for people who maybe have just caught West Ham highlights from now and then. But who were the players that you sort of look at and think deserve a lot of praise for the way in which they inspired the club on last season? Um, as you mentioned, I don't think anyone really can be mentioned probably more than uh, Jared Bowen, especially in the second half of the season. Uh, his goals were so important. Um, West Ham, like, like I sort of alluded to, their form had dropped off. But <clears throat> had it not been for Bowen's goals, I think a lot of his 18 came in the second half of the last season. Um, you know, West Ham might have not got the success they got. You know, he scored not just a lot of goals, but in big games, you know, he scored a lot of goals in Europe. And um, on top of that, he scored, I think, they played Man City towards the last end of last season and got a two-wheel draw and Bowen got both goals in that game. And, you know, he's, he, he just came out with trumps in, in big games like that. And, you know, it's no wonder that he's now in the England squad. He's been linked with, you know, bigger clubs um, as, as, as a potential transfer target. And, you know, so he's obviously someone that, you think West Ham is one of the name, first names you associate with the team. Declan Rice as well, he's obviously been brilliant in midfield. Such a you know one of the sort of key cogs for for England and has been you know in that run to the uh, final of the European Championships and he's been a regular sort of in the build up to that and ever since really. So you know again West Ham always seem to be, be playing their best football with those two players in Antonio as well as you mentioned there last season. You know he was their only sort of natural number nine, if you like. They had sort of makeshift options of Bowen or like one or some other of the four players they sort of used there. But but yeah, Antonio had to play a lot of football last season and, and they had to rely on him. They could rely on him, to be fair. And, you know, he gave it his all. What we got to understand is like, you know, a few years ago, he wasn't a striker. You know, it's, it's something that sort of West Ham is he, he's kind of, Moulded into during his time at West Ham, he mainly been sort of a winger or, or even at times a fullback prior to prior to his days at, at West Ham. So you know, credit to him. I think he's had uh, ahead of a season. I think it's three straight seasons of scoring ten Premier League goals in each campaign. And you know, for as I say, someone who's sort of converted, not necessarily a natural striker, and last season obviously had to be relied upon in other European games as well. And then you know, the, the Thursday Sunday most weeks, you know, fair play to him. Um, but yeah, Kurt Zuma as well, another one at the him and Craig Dawson at the back had such an important impact on the team last season and, and you know, we've seen signs of that as well in the early parts of this season. Mm. So yeah, those those are ones, you know, the sort of core players you look at. I mean they have added to that in the summer. 
I mean, we're starting to see sort of now the quality and the money we've spent and, and why they've spent it exactly. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there are some very, very good players in there, as I mentioned. And, you know, it, it's kind of perhaps easy to see why West Ham are, you know, you, you think of the big six and then you think of the teams straight after them and West Ham's now. But off the last two seasons, they're kind of the first ones you think of because of their success. Yeah, and I think... Uh... I mean, looking at some of those players that you just mentioned there, I think it's uh, it's clear to see the, the evolution that they've been on as well in terms of sort of, sort of their own development at the club alongside sort of the team, the team developing as well. Uh, in terms of sort of come the end of the season, actually Dawson was a player who actually came up time and time again. Actually, it was quite funny to see sort of the way in which he's having his uh, he's having his renaissance, I think. But uh, in, in in terms of sort of come the end of the season, you mentioned there that there was a real desire at the club not to make this a flash in the pan to build for long-term sustained success. Where were the positions that you thought, and you think the fans were thinking, these are the positions if we really want to compete, not just the depth that we need in the squad, but the, the sort of specific positions where West Ham needed to sort of level up. And then we'll, we'll dive into that. sort of talking about the actual players who've come through the door afterwards. And in, in terms, of, it's a combination. So I think there was some areas where we could have quality, but I think it was a combination of, of depth and quality. You know, players that could come in and do a job in the first team, players that could, you know, a, a lot of the signs have made are quite versatile. Actually, you know, they're not just quality players; but they're quality players you can use in a few different positions. Um, I met like the likes of Tito Kera, Lucas Paqueta, uh, Maxwell Cornier. Um, you know, they're just a few examples of players they've signed this summer who can all play in, a, in sort of a variety of positions. Um, in terms of where needed to, to be strengthened, um, I think they made a big purpose to sort of add him in the number 10 position, um, which they have done with, with signing Lucas Paqueta, uh, the, the, the sort of biggest uh, signing of the summer. Um, you know, which over time seems like a really, <laughs> it's sort of a, perhaps a bizarre bit of business in the sense that, you know, he's linked with so many big clubs, you know, Arsenal and Newcastle, all the two that sort of, you know, stood out, but there are other clubs he's linked with as well. And, you know, for him to end up at um him to end up at West Ham just shows the level they've got to um as well. Uh, so that was looked at. Um up front was looked at as well. This we spent big money on signing Gianluca Skamaka from Sassuolo. Um a centre back as well. We also spent big money on signing Nef Agard um from uh yeah from 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 League One. So although we haven't actually seen him play yet. So yeah, they've spent big money but if you look at if you sort of break down each deal, look at where they fit in, uh, it, it does make sense. And well, 160 million sounds an awful lot of money yeah. for, for a club like West Ham. Yeah, it, is, it, it really is. But they signed eight players, eight, eight good quality players. A lot of them, almost all of them, actually are internationals of their country. Um, plenty with you know top level experience as well. Some some there's a bit of a blend, you know, some some sort of younger ones that they look and see potential in. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of money spent, but there's pressure on sort of making them sort of exceed, uh, succeed and, um, you know, bed themselves into this West Ham team. And, and we are starting to see that. I think it's helped, but we've had the Europa Conference League playing alongside, not just in the groups, but be able to play two qualifying games as well to get into the groups. So again, I think that's really helped in, in, in some ways of getting those sort of players, getting minutes and getting them sort of used to life at West Ham, especially the ones coming from sort of foreign leagues that never played sort of English football before. Um, so, yeah, a lot of money spent, but you can see why they've done it, and it's one of those where they kind of they're kind of banking on having another good season. But with players they've signed, you, you kind of it's been a slow start, but you kind of back them long term to to succeed, especially with sort of the talent they've they've acquired at a club. 
It's an interesting case, yeah. I think whenever you sort of see an outlay like that of of 160 odd million, eight players coming in. I mean, usually the things that get leveled at clubs that do that are is that too many players? You know, is it is it going to take a bit too long to be able to integrate that many players? And then sort of the time it takes, then you sort of maybe lose out on the points that you would have thought you would have maybe gained in the first half of the season, for example. But then also, I, I've spoken to West Ham fans, West Ham journalists in the past, and they've they've mentioned you know West Ham spending big. But in the past, perhaps it was more a approach that was focused on names, uh, you know, maybe sort of, sort of the more flashy profile of players that, that they could attract rather than players of the right quality that actually fit the dynamic, fit the team, fit the role that they were were coming into play, fit the league as well. Um, it sounds like from what you said there that you actually are you're you're feeling confident that with these players as well as sort of pursuing quality at the right age, they're also the right fit for this team as well. Yeah, um, I think if we break all eight down, I mean, you know, in goal you've got uh, Alphonse Arreola who's come in on a permanent deal. We obviously had him as backup last season and he played all the cup games and all the European games. And, you know, uh, Lucas Fabianski is obviously a brilliant keeper, but he is 37. So, you know, you don't know how much longer sort of you've got of him. Although he put in a brilliant performance yesterday, actually against um, against Southampton. But, you know, to have Alf, uh, Arreola, you know, he's a regular with France. But albeit he doesn't play a lot for France, but... The fact that he's in the France squad, I think, speaks volumes. And the fact that he's West Ham's second goalkeeper, you know, it's pretty staggering, really. And defensive Santino Cara, um, you know, he played a lot of minutes for, for PSG in recent seasons. Um, I think I saw a stat uh, around the time he signed, I think, since Hansi Flick's become the Germany manager, I think Tilo Kara's had more minutes than any other German outfield player for the country, which is, is quite, you know, you think of the talent Germany had in their squad, you know, Tilo Kara might not necessarily be a, a name that you instantly think of but the fact that he's getting a lot of minutes for his country you know speaks volumes I think and the beauty of him is he's got top level experience he can play anywhere across the bat line and you know he's had to this season uh, already just injuries and other factors uh, May FA guard he's had a brilliant um, season I believe it was Rennie was at you know he's had a good season there he's a, a regular with Morocco he played every minute for him at the African Cup of Nations at the start of the season Um so, yeah, they've got high hopes for him. It didn't help, but he suffered a really bad ankle injury in pre-season. We're not, and he's not played since. He's close to coming back, but he's still a little bit off. You know, there's concerns of getting him back. He's obviously a World Cup in a few weeks, and he he will be, if he's fit, he will be in that Morocco squad. So, interesting to see sort of how how he comes on and, and how he suits when we eventually start to see him. Uh, Emerson, a left-back, you know, it's good competition for Aaron Cresswell, you know, obviously a very experienced and um, heavily respected club, a uh, player of the club, also vice captain. Um, but Emerson, you know, he's won the Euros with Italy, he's won a lot at Chelsea, played uh, out on loan at Lyon last season as well with Paqueta. So, you know, again, a very experienced player and a very, again, shrewd sign. I think they paid around 13 million for him. So that's the thing, it is 160 million, but when you break all these deals down, it's really not as much. Lucas Paquette is the, the, the star signing in the number 10 role. Played an awful lot for, I think it's about 35 caps for Brazil and he's only just turned 25. You know, he can play as a number 10. He's played off the left wing. Um, he can play as a false nine in one of the deep in the field, but he's so versatile. He's played, yeah, as I say, he plays at AC Milan, played at Lyon. And, you know, if he has a couple of good years at West Ham, you know, we really see that as, you know, such a talented prospect for them. It's on Flynn Downs in central midfield. Um, Perhaps it's it's an interesting one, such a midfield. Flynn Downs has only played sort of one full season last year um, at Swansea in the Championship, but he's grown up as a West Ham fan. He's from Brentwood, not far from from uh, West Ham at all. Um, 
So there's that element to it as well. And, you know, they see a lot of potential in him. You know, he's kind of very much a project signing. David Boyes, we spoke to him recently and he sort of mentioned that when he was at Everton, he signed Phil Jagielka and Leighton Baines as projects. And we saw what great players they turned into. And that's kind of what he's aiming for with Downs, really. We've not seen a lot of him yet, mainly in Europe. But again, you, you kind of see why they've signed him. Uh, Maxwell Cornier on the left wing. Signed for, he obviously had a brilliant season at Burnley last year and it a very poor Burnley team, I must add. And, you know, had mm. Burnley not had his goals, um, you know, they would have been relegated a lot sooner than they were. But again, another versatile play, plays number nine, play off the left scored wing, some wonderful goals wing back. Well, actually, I think. He scored some brilliant mm. goals, yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've not seen him yet. They've kind of, that's sort of a one position maybe up for grabs in this West Ham team, that left wing spot. You've got him, you've got Saeed Benrahma, probably four nows, and none of them are quite yet to sort of make it their own yet this season. Um, Cornier had got his full league debut a couple of weeks ago against Wolves, but ended up coming off injured in the first half. We've not seen him since, and he's probably not going to play against Liverpool, although, you know, he either just makes it or just doesn't. But again, you just get why they're signing, I think, 17 and a half million. And then the other one, Skamaka, comes off a, a 17 goal season in Serie A, which is fantastic. He's only 23. He's been a regular in the Italy squad for about a year or, or so now. So, and yeah, we've, we've started to see you know, what he can bring. He's already a club's top scorer in, um, in all competitions, although a lot of them are coming to Europe, but he has been brilliant. You know, he's been, since coming back from this, into the last international break, he has been West Ham's main striker up front. And you can see why, you know, he, he's, he's really confident for, I think he's six foot five, but he doesn't move like it. He's got brilliant hmm. hold up play, quick feet. Um, he's a really good, he's a pretty good passer of a ball, especially for, for someone who's sort of frame as well. So, you know, there's a lot to like about him. And, you know, even when he's not been scoring goals, you think, oh, they've got a player here. And, you know, once they get him fit, and David Moyes has said, you know, he's, he's probably not at his best yet. And that's a really exciting thing. He is still really new to the league. He's still new to the country, but he's already got six goals. I think he's averaging a goal about every 100 minutes or so in Europe this season, which is fantastic. Um, and, yeah, he's only started four Premier League games so far, but he scored in two of them, had a right. hat full of, cha- had a hat full of chances, Um against Southampton yesterday and, you know, another day scores one or two of them. And the other one was against Villa where West Ham hardly got a kick before he came off. So you can't really blame him really. So yeah, eight signings, a lot of money spent. But, you know, when you, when you sort of break it down and look at how much is each player, why they've signed that player, you know, it really makes sense. And then I guess given that and given sort of the enthusiasm that came out of the end of last season, uh, sort of the, the injection of all these new sort of signings, that's fans are always going to be sort of very excited about shiny new sort of things to slot into the squad. Um, the, the way in which the the side started the season, did that surprise you at all in terms of sort of, obviously the, the opening day game against Manchester City is one of the toughest ones you can always get. Uh, yeah. But, but sort, sort of those those three opening games, the loss to Nottingham Forest, for example, away, but again, newly promoted side like that, yeah. like Forest away from home early in the season, that's when they're going to be at the most dangerous you'd imagine. But, uh, and then, and then a loss to Brighton, who obviously, I think we've uh, everyone has sort of discovered this season. And, and Graham Potter's obviously gone over to, to to Chelsea now, but Brighton by no means a side to be underestimated, given how they performed so far this season. So, I mean, w- uh, are there mitigating circumstances of all those games, or was there something worrying that you saw in, in the start of the season that sort of contributed to those losses? Combination, it's, it's kind of a few factors. You know, but you're right in saying there are mitigating circumstances in some ways, but in other ways, there were a few concerns. Um, we'll start with the Man City game. They go into that with one fit centre back in Kurt Zuma. They had to play Ben Johnson, the young right back, as a centre back with Kurt Zuma. And they're not being funny. 
we've all seen how good Manchester City have been this season, mm-hmm. especially with Erling Haaland. And and the thing, and what West Ham West Ham didn't play particularly well. They didn't really offer a lot going forward. Antonio sort of had one half chance in the opening stages, but um, but yeah, there was a few bits to get. So, so as I said, Ben Johnson had to play centre back. I think for the only three games of the season, if I remember right, he had to play as a centre back uh, in the league anyway. Um, but yeah, in that City game, they'd done really. Fabianski had a good first 25, 30 minutes or so. Erling Haaland clatters into him for a cross. Fabianski goes off injured. Two minutes later, Haaland goes for a goal and, and Ariola brings him down in the box 1-0. And, you know, from that point on, it, w- it was City's game. And West Ham did go for it in the second half, but it was, again, that was... They, they tried going for it, but they got caught on the break. Haaland goes for a goal 2-0. And I think, from memory, they were City's only two real clear-cut chances. And, you know, a West Ham side, we really struggled for players, from memory. You know, some of the signings they had made hadn't quite come in yet. Um, so I think they'd only sort of made four or five of their signings by that point. Um, they had a couple of players injured and stuff. I think, yeah, so Craig Dawson injured, Taylor Carahunt arrived. Issa Diop was actually refusing to play because he was desperate to leave the club and left the film a few days later. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of mitigating circumstances for that one. Uh, the Forest game, um, you know, as you say there, we go away to a newly promoted side, their first home game in the Premier League in, I think, 22 years or something along those lines. So, you know, that's always going to be a tough test. Forest is a brilliant atmosphere if you've ever been. You know, the city grounds are real cold and you can tell how excited they were to be to be back in the top flight. And Forest played all right, but West Ham, on another day, they went that game pretty comfortably. Uh, they had a, Ben Rama had a goal disallowed uh, by VAR. Um, there was a foul by Antonio in the build-up. Um, I think there's two cleared off the line. Rice misses a penalty. Two at the underside of the bar. So, you know, they... Without scoring, they couldn't have got much closer. So, you know, a 1-0 defeat sort of... I think Forrest probably deserved a point, but West Ham certainly feel, feel, would have felt aggrieved that they came away empty-handed that day. Um, and then the Brighton game, as you say, um, yeah, they just didn't play great. And, and as you say, Brighton have been brilliant this season, especially um, under Graham Potter, who, you know, of course, is now at Chelsea. But, yeah... What what I will say on top of that though is either side I think it was before Forest and before Brighton they had two games in Europe um, and they're trying to rejig a squad bled new players in and they won both of those games in Europe in that time so there was concern but when you looked at the European games you saw Skamaka was starting to get some minutes and a couple of other players and Skamaka was scoring goals you know there was signs that there is room for optimism but I think if it hadn't been for the European games and we had just seen three straight defeats yeah. in the league yeah there would be a lot more reason to be concerned and I think there was a case of, okay, not been a great start, but you could have to start picking up some points. And um, and yeah, luckily it's turned around a lot more since then. But after those sort of first few games, there was, yeah, plenty of reason to be concerned. And of the new signings, I mean, you mentioned Skamaka and sort of the form he's been in in Europe. I mean, which of the new signings have you seen the most of so far and sort of how uh, how excited have they got on the fans? Um, in terms of who we've seen the most so far, uh, Tilo Care was probably the one He's played the most minutes, um, as I mentioned, versatile defender. Had to come in at centre-back straight away, really, right within sort of a day or two of signing. Um, so, but again, I think the plus side he had had is, um, I think he played, you know, a couple of pre-season games and stuff. So he was he was fit when he arrived, which wasn't really the case for a lot of West Ham signings, which again, didn't help. So we've seen a lot of carer. Um, I think a lot of people would have been concerned if you sort of look for. I think on his on his um, on his debut against Brighton, he gives away a penalty, which is just a really rash decision. 
Um, and then the, he scored an own goal against Tottenham. But when you look at it, you know, it's absolutely not his fault. It's, a, it's one of those sort of crosses low in the box. And if he doesn't get there, then Son gets a tap in at the back post. You can't really blame him. But in terms of that, barring that, you know, he's so calm on the ball. His positioning, you know, is, is largely good. Um, but he's very two-footed. You know, we've mainly seen him play on the right side, but I'm pretty sure he's left-footed. Or if if he's not right, if he's not left-footed, then he must have the best sort of sort of like a Santi Cazorla weak foot about him because he's so comfortable on both feet and he can play out right back, left back, centre back. And we've we've seen him, you know, playing a in a range of roles already. We've seen a lot of him. Um, Lucas Paquetta has played a lot since he came in he, he signed he's one of the last signings to come into the club I think it's sort of the last week of the window so yeah we've we've seen a lot of him I think he started virtually every league game since coming in I think he made his debut off the bench against Tottenham but since then started every league game so we've seen a lot of him and you know his first couple of games he wasn't great but we're now starting to see a more confident player and it's kind of the tricks he pulls off but whenever I saw them last weekend, he created so many good chances for Paqueta. And, you know, he's got a brilliant, you know, touch about him. He, he sort of glides on the ball. There was that clip of him against Anderlecht that went viral where he sort of does this sort of touch where he jumps and like flicks one leg behind the other. He just thinks, wow, what a player. Like you can see, you can see why that, that I think it was 36 million up front, but it could eventually climb above 50 after add-ons. But you can see why, you know, the quality. And, and Skamaka as well. We've only started to see him in the league since this international break. But, you know, he, he's, he scores against he scores against Wolves um, with a really well-taken goal, actually. Um, scores against Fulham. Again, with a really, you know, there's a bit of VAR controversy around it. But he thought the ball's kind of behind him and he managed to take it and sort of, want, like, get adjust his feet. And then I should think Leno from about 25 yards was just this clever little cute side-footed, like sort of a lofted pass more than anything. Um, but then we've seen him in Europe just hit one from 25 yards, go in, almost do the same against Southampton from even further back yesterday. So, you know, he, is, he, he looks a really good player, but the club are keen not to put too much pressure on him, you know. he, he The number sort of, that, that striker number nine role, if you like, it's his for now, but there's definitely no illusion from David Moyes for, um, you know, if he does have a bad run of form, then yeah, he will turn back to Antonio. He's got a trusty player there, but mm-hmm. but, but but to be fair, if Skamaka keeps playing the way he has done, I don't think Moyes has got to worry about that one for a while. So they're the kind of ones we've seen the most. Um, Downsley's not seen too much of, mainly in Europe. Emerson, we've seen him a couple of times in the league, but again, mainly in Europe. Ariola, only in Europe. Agard's been injured, so we've not seen him. And, and Cornier, again, mainly Europe, but he's injured as well now. So, in terms of the signing, the best of those eight signings so far, you look at, you know, Kara, Paqueta and Skamaka are sort of the three that scream out at me at a minute. Yeah, sort of excited to see Skamaka in the flesh, actually, and Paqueta as well. I think he's, he's always struck me as a very talented and actually sort of tenacious player whenever I actually managed to sort of see highlights of him playing in France. So, interested to see how he does in the Premier League. And in terms of those players, we spoke about integrating them and and, and, and the challenge that is, um, when you've got new options, it's it, it's obviously gives you the ability to rotate, and, and that's a very attractive prospect as well for managers who, who've not had a big squad in the past. But in terms of sort of tactical changes you've seen from from David Moyes this season, uh, so far anyway, have there been any noticeable sort of tweaks to the system that you saw last time around? Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well. Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. 
from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Uh, not, not necessarily, I think, what we have. We haven't even left that sort of dominate possession too much. And I, I don't think that, you know, that they've kind of built this team and, and you know, it's probably the case before all these signs as well, but they've built this team really where they've not really had too much of a ball. When we do have the ball, they're very sort of... Um, Right, well, very clinical and, and purposeful with the ball, and they know what they want to do. You know, there's a as soon as they get it to to Rice or Suchet, there's an element to try and get it out to a fullback or a wingback and sort of build something straight away. Um, with Paqueta as well, now you know we've got this sort of player who picks up brilliant positions, and they've got sort of this sort of proper number ten that is a real luxury player, and he can do great things. He's still, you know, he's still not quite probably at his best just yet. Um, you know. They've definitely got. Um, he, he definitely had so in his early games. He's getting you know trying to take too many touches, and he is sometimes guilty of that. To be fair to him, but it's one of those things you don't mind if you know he puts in that beautiful cross or plays in that perfect through ball. You know you, you don't mind if he, he. We know we he can do it, and he does still do it. So you, you can't really blame him for that. Um, but he is still getting used to it. But we've seen the last few games, you know, showing a lot more purpose. He's a lot quicker, you know. I think he tried to do. He thought he probably had too much time on the ball, but again, it's just one of those things where you get, you know, you get used to the Premier League. You know, he's only ever played in, I think, Brazil, Italy, and France at club level. So, you know, those things do take a lot of time. They're not just quick fixes. Uh, Kara slotted in brilliantly. Um, Again, it it helps. He's a very technical defender, you know. Whereas Zuma and Dawson are a bit more sort of old school. Kara's, you know, very sort of technically gifted. player who can they've started using them at right back a bit more now that well when Zuma and Dawson were fit. Um although you know there's concerns about both of them actually going into the Liverpool game. Um but yeah when he has played at right back he can sort of he's got the technical quality to get forward, put crosses in and stuff. Um and yeah in general I think they've kind of got a myth they've it's not necessarily a long ball or anything like that. They're very progressive when they have the ball they're quick. They're keen to get it forward. They've got talented wingers, you know Garrett Bowen on the right side or whoever it is playing on the left they've got plenty of options out there uh, Cresswell and Kufa like to come forward from full back or, or, or carers that have been recently on the right like to come forward from full back and sort of overload overlap try and get crosses in you know and, and with Skamaka now we've got more options to do so and Paqueta as well so you know he's this big imposing six foot five striker who can really occupy defenders you know whether it's his hold-up play, whether it's aerial threat, you know, he's kind of got a bit of everything to it. Really, he's not sort of one striker as such. He's got a bit of everything about him. So, no, I think I don't think too much has changed. I think it's just building on what they had and trying to just up it a level with, with, with added quality. And, yeah, I think if they want to make themselves tough to break down first, want to get the ball, get it forward and, and try and create mm-hmm. these goal scoring opportunities and, and take them. And with players like Bowen and, and Skamaka and, you know, Antonio, when he does play, you know, they've all got decent goal records so they hope that, you know, they can do that. 
So looking at the actual results that you've had so far, season, I mean, we spoke about some of the mitigating circumstances that could have surrounded the the losses at the start of the season. And yeah, I'm conscious that we're still we're still at the start of the season. But in terms of sort of the wins that you've seen so far, I mean, have there been any performances you've looked at and gone, okay, that's probably uh, more indicative of what this what Moyes envisages this side looking like when things do start to click. Um, in terms of in terms of the Premier League, um, the winner the winner Aston Villa, which is their first win of the season, I think it's the end of August, didn't play well at all. You know, in actual fact, their best some of their best performances this season have come where they've dropped points. Um, right, okay. Played, yeah, it's quite an interesting one. They've played away at Tottenham. Um, played away at Tottenham, I think it was the day before deadline day, and they drew one all against, you know, Tottenham side, who had started the season brilliantly, you know, they, they did really well, and, you know, it was an own goal on the break, but, but you know, ultimately it wasn't three points, Thomas Suchek gets a good goal off, off some really, you know, sustained pressure from West Ham, and they had a couple of chances, I think Antonio and Bowen both went close really late on, I mean, they had good chances in that game, they went to Chelsea uh, three or four days later, you know, took a lead off a scrappy corner. They take a lead. Chelsea make some good substitutions and bring him back to two one. And then uh, there's uh, Maxwell Cordier come off the bench. He hit the post a minutes within minutes coming on. And then sort of the last kick of the game scores. It's two all. You know, you think that's a brilliant point away at Chelsea. But then um, it gets ruled out by the I still can't quite get over that decision. To be honest, you know, it was such a shock. Um, but yeah. But, but, you know, those two performances stand out. I think they've, they've looked at a more complete team since the international break. You know, they've beaten Anderlecht twice in Europe. Uh, they beat Wolves, um, although Wolves didn't offer a lot. But they look really good. West Ham were pretty solid in that game. And they beat Fulham. I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of controversy. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a lot of controversy surrounding probably all three of West Ham's goal last weekend. But, you know, in terms of the way they played, you know, Leno had to make some brilliant saves. Paqueta and Skamaka were linking up fantastic. I think Paqueta makes four good chances for Skamaka um, and two are saved brilliantly. One goes in and the other one, I think, is just, you know, sort of inches wide. Um, so, yeah, I'd say they're playing the best, they're starting to play the best football now. Uh, yesterday's game at Southampton, I know they drew, but, you know, there's controversy surrounding Southampton's goal. West Ham definitely felt they should have had a penalty and probably rightly so. Um, and, yeah, they didn't have many shots on. I think you had something like twenty or twenty-four shots, only four on target. But the ones that were off target, Paqueta hits a post with a header. Um, Emerson goes close early on. Skamaka has a couple of chances that aren't far off at all, and another one that forces a good save from Bazuni late on. So, yeah, they're they're looking like they're definitely coming into this Liverpool game playing the best football. I think injuries are a major issue. I think it proves to be the difference that's happened yesterday. They've, mm. they've they just got over their centre-back crisis, got pretty much everyone back bar and A-guard, and then they lose three of their four that were fit in a matter of days. They only had um, Kera, and again, he's, he's he's not really... He is a centre. He can play centre-back very well, but he's he sort of this sort of floating defender who can play sort of anywhere across the back line. Not necessarily a specialist, but capable of playing for three. He was the only sort of centre-back they had fit. On bottom of the bench, but he'd gone off with a hamstring injury three days earlier mm-hmm. against Anderlecht. Uh, Dawson went off in that game with a dead leg, but he'd already had, they're trying to rest him in the end of that game, but Obono comes off to bring Dawson on despite having a dead leg. He then uh, collides into Flynn Downs and sort of re-aggravates that dead log that he's off. Um, Kazuma's had an illness. So again, it was sort of a late call whether or not he made that up that he didn't make it. 
Um, so it's going to be interesting to see whether Zuma or Dawson are back because um, they had to change formation and, and it didn't really suit them. Um, and I think it was costly at Southampton at the end of the day. Um, they just looked sort of very vulnerable defensively. And, you know, when you're missing Zuma, Dawson and Obama still not fully fit, he missed the best part of the year and he's only just coming back. And now he's had another setback and we've still not seen a guard yet. You know, when you've got all of that to deal with, trying to play, trying to field a Premier League defence with one sort of centre-back available isn't easy at all. So, yeah, I think, you know, West Ham could give Liverpool a good game with everyone fit. It's just a case of what team they're going to have just of the issues they've got on the back at the minute um, and and how structurally how they can play and what options they actually have. If they're able to, if they've got enough to go back to their 4-2-3-1, then yeah, you, you back them to have a better chance. If it has to play this sort of back three, back five, that's forced and it's got full backs playing in a central role, you know, that's when you worry, especially with, you know, the plethora of attacking talent Liverpool have. Yeah, no, I think you don't need to, you don't say too much for me to actually sort of give you sympathy around sort of centre-backs injury crisis uh, and, and sort of trying to, fit, try, trying to play games where you can't really field a centre-back uh, is not something I really want to go back to, to be honest. No. Uh, again, like it was just like seeing Jordan Henderson play centre-back, uh, like was just, yeah, it was not, it wasn't good. Yeah. Wasn't well, the well, time. For, for, for context, they had, um, so played Amberback on Thursday night, the second game, they beat him 1-0 in their first group game, played him a week later, week just gone and um, they, they started with um, as I mentioned about the, the Obama Dawson situation, but for the last 15 minutes, luckily they're two and a half, but the last 15 minutes we had a back three of Ben Johnson, uh, Declan Rice, and Emerson as a back three. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah, not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they'll just hope that it, one of, if not both, of Zuma and Dawson are back because if they are, it makes such a difference, I think, both in terms of their quality and the way that West Ham are able to play. No, of course. And, We'll get onto the Liverpool game in a second, just sort of talk about what you expect for that. But in in terms of expectations then for the season, it's an interesting one because you mentioned sort of there, we, we, we discussed the influx of new signings coming in, quality, exciting players. Uh, you talk about the, the sixth place finish, the seventh place finish, the European adventure last season, getting into the semifinals of the Europa League. I mean, what are the, what, what are the current expectations you think amongst the fan base in terms of both what they can do in the league campaign, but also is, are there more European dreams around sort of how, how far you can go in that competition once again? Yeah, I think I think there's a kind of element of, um, you know, it was a good run in Europe, but they would have liked to have gone one further. A got to final and B win the tournament and, you know, they really weren't far off doing that. And obviously they've dropped down the competition now to be, from Europa League to Europa Conference League. But I think, um, I think, uh, West Ham were sort of made favourites or one of the favourites to win this competition right at the start of the season before a ball was kicked and since then they've won both the qualifying games pretty comfortably they've won four with, they've gone four wins in four in the group um, so they're already through to the knockout rounds but if they get a point in either of their last two games they go um, the way the Conference League works is it's not like the Champions League where the top two go through and it's just around the 32 uh, around the 16 sorry the top team goes through um, so they go straight to the round of 16 but the, if you finish second you have to play the third place team from the Europa League like a playoff so from sort of a fixture point of view a financial point of view it makes it makes it a lot easier if you finish top luckily for West Ham they've been that good in that competition this season but they only need the point from the last two games to do that so but I think the way they've they've basically fielded 
B teams, really, you know, with this sort of depth they've got now. It's been making sort of eight, nine changes a game. And you, you look at a team and you think, you know, that 11's probably played a Premier League game together or, or close to it. So that's that's the beauty of sort of the depth they've got now. I think in Europe, they really want to go, as I said, they're one of the favourites in this competition and they're doing really well in it so far. So they'll hope that they'll go all the way and win that. Um, in, in terms of the Premier League, I think obviously it's, it's so tough, isn't it? We're playing Thursday, Sunday, which, you know, almost all of their games this season have been on Sunday rather than Saturday because they've got a European game right before it. So it's minimal preparation for a lot of these games. You know, it's really, it's really tough. I mean, I don't know the numbers exactly, but it, if, if you look at sort of points picked up by teams, you know, by sort of like West Ham, Man U, Arsenal, clubs that we've seen playing Thursday night football in recent seasons, you know, it, it's, it's not bound to be awfully high. Um, so it is tough. It's a challenge for them, but I still think the money they've spent, they, they just, I think the, the hope is that they get European football again next season or, 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 you know, failing that as close to that as possible, possibly a running one or two cups as well. But I think, you know, if you get this brilliant run in Europe and and the sort of a top seven finish again, you know, then fair play, that would, that would be a brilliant season. Mm, there's some individual records inside as well. I think for a couple of these West Ham players as well, actually, to become, I think I saw that Jared Burns close to becoming maybe the all time. Uh, sort of um, all-time sort of goal scorer in Europe. Did did I read that correctly? Yes. Sort of his record, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so he scored. So he scored on. He scored the opener uh, against Anderlecht on Thursday, and that puts mm. him joint joint top now. Um, I think there's two others, but from from a very long time ago, sort of like when West Ham was sort of a more of a European team like back in yeah. yesterday year. But but the fact is, Bowen only made his European debut 13 months ago, so. The, the sort of progression and he's already like all time, like joint all-time top scoring in Europe it's brilliant David Moyes did make the point that you know you've got to kind of contextualise it a bit and you know um, obviously now like the groups and the way that European competitions work you play a lot more games in Europe when you are in it but even still it's a brilliant achievement I think he's only played 13 European games and he's got six goals which and he's not a striker either so so yeah it, it, it's brilliant from him really and I think it shows a sign that um you know, his goal threat. And he's had it really for, for a lot of years now. Uh, funnily enough, one of my old jobs um, pre- before I started covering West Ham was I used to cover Hull and it was Bowen's last season at Hull. And, you know, he was so good. He's been linked with, I think, about 14 Premier League clubs he got linked with before he left. I think, like, including Arsenal and like... So, yeah, we, we always knew this sort of this Premier League move was going to come for him and he didn't start amazingly like quick. I think he only got one goal in his first sort of half season at West Ham, but since then he's been brilliant. Played a big role in getting the, the sixth place finish first. And then last season, top scorers, you say, of 18 goals and getting him into seventh, but, it, you know, into um, the semi-finals of Europe as well, which is fantastic. He's had plenty of admirers. I think at one stage there were quite a few sort of rumours around sort of his admirers at Liverpool as well, actually, I think in terms yeah. of just the the tenacity with which he plays the game. I mean, I, I think there's you know, there's quite a few players across the league that I've seen sort of recently. Actually, I think, oh yeah, <laughs> if they weren't playing yeah. for the teams they're playing at, they 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 fit the profile very much so of what um of what Klopp sort of demands from his team. But uh, just on bone, just before we sort of get to talk about the actual Liverpool game itself, I mean, uh, he's obviously playing with maybe the spectre of you know, earning a chance to to go to the World Cup. Do you, do you reckon he'll make it? I think if you'd asked him that question about three weeks ago, I would have mm. said no, to be honest. He, before 
before the international break, yeah, had a great start to the season. He got he got two goals in Europe, but one was a penalty, and another one was just sort of this pot shot from twenty five yards out. But apart from that, he hadn't been playing great since he's come back from he he, he went with the England squad for for their for their games last month, um, and and yeah, since coming back from that, um, he's been in brilliant form. I think he scored like three and five or something like that. You know, he's um he, he's been excellent, and you know comes close to others as well. So David Moyes had said to him, look, when you come, when he came back from international duty, um, you know, when you come back, go and get a few goals, and you know you'll be on that plane. And so far, he's got three and five. So, yeah, if he goes on, I think West Ham have got eight more games starting with Liverpool before that World Cup. So you know, if he if he stays fit, goes on this run of goals, and you know we've seen a few players getting injured now, so I think staying fit will boost his chances alone. Staying fit, getting a lot of goals, and yeah, I think he might just sneak onto it, but he's going to have to. Um, What's it? He's going to have to stick stick with this run of form. Now he's actually on it. And finally, then just actually looking at the the, the Liverpool game itself, uh, West Ham's sort of away away at Anfield. I mean, it's not been the most intimidating of uh, of uh, sort of sides so far this season in terms of, sort of the, the the performances that Liverpool have put in. Naturally, that that win over Man City last night, I think, was probably the the best defensive performance as a unit I've seen from the team for. Definitely this season, um, which uh, they looked far better as a collective, sort of that lineup of players. So, uh, and obviously Mo Salah uh, being moved back to a central role, lo and behold, is uh, scoring goals again, uh, which which is always nice to nice to see. But yeah. in terms of sort of how you think uh, David Moyes will approach this game, lots has been made of obviously his his record against Liverpool, his record at Anfield as well. But I mean. It, Based upon what we have seen of Liverpool, maybe not not necessarily knowing just how genuine uh, this this turning the corner is from Liverpool, how do you reckon he's going to approach it? Um, well, I think that's that's the biggest question is who he's got available. You know that that really sort of depends on how on how we can approach it. You know, I think he'll sort of be you know the manager who, who likes to have this sort of solid rear guard line and you know if he's not got Zuma or Dawson to do that it's going to be very tough I think if both of them are missing he's going to have to go over this back five again begrudgingly so but I think they did do a lot of good things really um, against Southampton they didn't, they didn't sort of play great but they kind of did a job um, Cresswell made um, what's it Cresswell made a lot of good blocks Kara made a few clearances as well um, Johnson did our best again but yeah they did alright so I like to sort of run at them a bit but in terms of how we're going to approach it, I think they're just going to kind of make life difficult for Liverpool, um, not let them sort of attack and, and cause problems and try and catch them on the break, you know, with players like Bones, Gamaka, um, Paqueta, you know, if they start the 4 3 one or, you know, they, they'll have another extra attacker on the left. They've got their wing-backs who can come forward and cause problems. So I don't think, you know, I don't think, um, the, you know, they're not a high-possession team. It's very much... Absorb, um, absorb what can happen, and then and then go for it, basically. So yeah, it, I think in terms of how he's going to set up for this game, it, it's tough to predict without knowing exactly um, what players he's got available. But you know, he was very aware of the threat, and I don't think he'll want to let them sort of counter and get proper runs at them. You know, with the players like you know Salah, Nunes, Firmino, the, the sort of caliber of attackers Liverpool have. You know, he's not going to want to let them have as, as much sort of joy as, as they'd like. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I think the one area where Liverpool have struggled 
so far this season, uh, maybe with the exception of sort of uh, last night's game uh, is 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 sort of dealing with negative transitions, sort of, which is ironic considering sort of that's what they used to do to everybody else in terms of sort of picking people off in those situations. They've really struggled to deal with that at times as he's not necessarily had the greatest amount of control on games from midfield. Um, and I, I even remember sort of the game uh, away to West Ham last season, just a, being a really great example of that in terms of it was one of the games where Liverpool never really had control of the game from midfield. And I remember, I remember that Bowen run, just more or less running straight through, <laughs> not being tracked uh, in, yeah. in, in, in the lead up to one of the goals. So I'm hoping that uh, yesterday's win over City, where they sort of realise they have to track everybody and actually work for each other. Hopefully that sort of uh, ethos has been reinstilled. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think West Ham are are well set up to sort of actually um, exploit some of the weaknesses we've seen if they're still if they're still there. But um, anyway, Jonesy, thanks, thanks so much for for all your insight and sort of giving us a an idea of sort of the the expectations that West Ham have this season and sort of the fact that these these signings it's 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 been more thought out than maybe perhaps people would think if they had, yeah didn't have any details on the players just looked at the the sheer sort of outlay for example uh, I, th- I think it's it's clear that there's a real desire to make this uh, much more than a flash in the pan and. Uh, um, sort of a sustained period of success for West Ham. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. No, that's all right. It's, yeah, glad to be on. And you for those who are listening, uh, this is obviously another episode of of Rival Recon, and there'll be another one. I think again, talk about being caught out by the fixture list. There's a obviously another game on Saturday uh, where Liverpool are away to Forest um, before the the next game, which is the Champions League. Uh, sort of returning against Ajax, uh, Ajax rather, on the 26th of October. So yeah, there'll be uh, there'll be another episode this week just ahead of that Nottingham Forest game, um, and then you'll we'll be back after that for uh, the home game against Leeds right at the end of October. So um, yeah, do tune in for those as well. But between now and then, yeah, pay attention to all the other great sort of pods coming out on Anfield Index Pro. Uh, but between now and then, yeah, we'll see you uh, again for for Nottingham Forest. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.